Go ahead and have a seat, Conduit. Nice to see you this morning. Um, if you're... Thanks, brother. Uh, it's nice to see you this morning. My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit. If you weren't here last week, you may have um, missed Pastor Luke's first, month, or first Sunday with us. And so if we didn't get a chance or haven't got a chance to meet uh, Pastor Luke yet, carve out a little bit of time after the service today and uh, introduce yourself to him. And then next week, ask him if he remembers your name. Um, <laughs> um, uh, in all seriousness, though, uh, you know, as Conduit grows and we, uh, we continue to welcome new families, new faces, new people into our, into our family here, it becomes, of course, increasingly difficult to um, put names to faces and faces to names and to remember all of those things. And I want you to know that uh, even, even if I or someone else, if we ask your name or introduce ourselves for the first time and we've met five times, I'm, I'm just asking if you would give us a little bit of grace in that because... Um, because it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to remember everyone's names. Um, that being said, um, one thing that really helps us is if you are willing, if you're, if you're relatively new or you know that you've never, um, you've never filled out a welcome home card, uh, we have these on one of, the, um, one of the tall tables in our foyer, and it just helps us to be able to, uh, like, put the name to the face, right? So, oh, okay, yeah, that is, um, that is John and Jill, right? And, and if I wanted to reach out to them or call them or email them or whatever, or we just want to make sure that you're on our, our, ma- our newsletter mailing list or anything like that, then, then, we have your, then we have your information. If you want us to leave you alone, don't fill one out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's fine, too. Um, but if you, if you want us to have your information and you want to get connected here uh, to the family at Conduit, I mean, that's what we live for. We would, love, we would love to be able to do that. So these, they say welcome home on the front, and they have just basic, really basic information in the back, and they'll, they'll help us stay in touch with you and you with us. And you can drop them in the offering bucket, which is that big silver thing in the back right there. Um, so that's that. Um, last week, I talked to you a little bit from, just from, a, just from like a, a real base level about the heart of conduit. Because as we, as we continue to grow and new people continue to come, I want you to be continue, continually reminded of the heart of conduit. And, um, and why we believe uh, that we exist, not, not just as a church in general, but specifically, you know, kind of like the the DNA of conduit as a church and what God has called me to as a leader and what I believe he's called us to as a church in the city. And we're going to kind of continue that a little bit this morning with some things that I didn't really feel like we got to last week, but I want to be able to communicate really clearly to you. See, if you remember from last week, one of the things that I started um, with was um, uh, an, an understanding for you just like a I want to, I always seeking to be like as raw and honest and open and authentic as I can possibly be while also balancing kind of like a gentleness in my speech, right? And, and so I want you to know my heart there is that my heart is always um, 
to be a leader that is, that is, that is sensitive to uh, first the Holy Spirit and where he is leading, guiding, directing, moving in the life of the church, but also um, just being sensitive to who we have in the room, like knowing, knowing the family of Conduit and wanting to really just be open and honest about who we are and what we're, what we're about. You know, there, there can be, there can be in the Christian community this, this push and pull, this tug of war to, uh, to use a phrase from the battlefield, win the hearts and minds of the people. And I am, I am um, so aware that on a Sunday morning you could be doing lots of other things. Right? I am also aware that on a Sunday morning you could be sitting in lots of other rooms, in lots of other churches, with lots of other people. Right? And our heart here, my heart, is, is to not not be, um, I don't want to catch myself or catch Conduit as a church getting into a rut or a rhythm of trying to win your heart and mind over and against the church down the road. Okay? I have zero desire to compete with other churches by making sure we are more spit and polished than the next church. Okay. Um, there are many fantastic churches in the county, Chautauqua County, Cattaraugus County, Erie County, Warren County, PA, and I could, I could name those and list those and put you personally in touch with many um, godly men and women who lead those churches. Right? What, I, what I want you to know that our desire here is not, um, is not that we would... Um, have a better presentation of everything or a better environment of everything so that you would want to stay here instead of going over there. I want you to go where Jesus finds you, where Jesus saves you. I want you to get planted. I want you to get connected. I want you to be learning and being discipled and sanctified in his, in his word. I want you to be in a small group of people that are, that are helping you become closer to Jesus and walk with Jesus every day and they're praying over you and they know your family and they know your situation and they know what's going on. We will not play the game here of like just spiritual vending machine, push the button, get your, you know, like get your product and then move on the next day. We are not a purveyor of religious goods and services. We are a Jesus community, and my number one priority in life and in leadership and in ministry is to get you closer to Jesus, and I could give two hoots about everything else. Okay? Period. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we're not going to pursue excellence in our environments, in our programs, in, in, in the building, in um, worship, like we're going to pursue excellence, right? But we're going to pursue excellence because we believe that like, if, for instance, if I were to invite you over to my home, right? I would clean the bathroom and my wife would make a nice meal, right? And we would, we would make sure that you are, we would make sure that you are comfortable and that you are welcomed and that you feel 
you feel safe and that you feel cared for. Not because we want to make sure you come to our house every time instead of the neighbor's house. Right? But because those things are an expression of love. Those things are an expression of care. Those things are an expression of intentionality about you being with us. And so, never, I want you to be, I want to be really clear. I don't ever want you to think that we're trying to do it better so that you stay. Okay? We're trying to do it better because we believe that doing it well is an expression of love for those who are here and those who are going to be here. Right? But our number one goal, and anytime, listen, anytime any of that stuff gets in the way of us getting you closer to Jesus or becomes like the number one priority, I will burn it down. I don't care what it is. I'll take every piece of pallet wood out of this building. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Myself, okay? Because I am ruthlessly and eternally committed to seeing you live into, experience um, the love of God through Jesus Christ in your life. That's, that's all I'm about. Right? That's all we're going to be about. And so, um, like we started last week with kind of just like these, these things, and I want to run through a number of statements that we kind of talked about, but maybe I didn't, we didn't list them like this. Um, and um, we will, we will put these up on social media, and by we, I mean I will ask someone else to do it, because I'm bad at that. Um, we will put these things up on social media in the next few days and weeks, so, so that you have them in a place and you can, um, you can refer to them. The heart of conduit, what is the heart of conduit? In a lot of ways, we believe that this is the heart of every church that believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, who encourages people to surrender their lives to Him, who moves in like lockstep with the Holy Spirit of God. But we do believe that there are some distinctives here as well. Uh, we believe that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that you and I are lost, that we're all lost. When we read the scripture in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, we're not just primarily thinking about the person next to us that's really lost that needs Jesus. Right? But, we're, but we're primarily thinking about like, where, the, like the lostness of my own heart, the lostness of my own mind, the lostness of my own emotions, the lostness of my own life, my family. Like, I am lost. Jesus came to seek and save me. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and we believe that. And we believe that the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, really does change people's lives. It really does change people's homes. It really changes people's families. It changes their work environments. It changes churches. It changes cities. We don't just say it in terms of like, because it, because it sounds like the thing that we should say. We believe that we believe it on a foundational, deep level that the gospel of Jesus Christ really has the power to change everything. If it doesn't, then we're wasting our time here, right? We are we are wasting our time. If if we don't believe that, firmly believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to completely reorient, redirect, 
reroute every single aspect of your life and mine, then we're, man, we're wasting our times. We believe that when you get to the end of your rope, you'll find that Jesus is the answer that your heart was looking for the whole time. That when you get to the end of your rope, when you get to the bottom of your barrel, when you have exhausted all other options to tweak the details of your life so that it work out, works out the way that you think it, think it should, when all of that emptiness, that silent emptiness that you've been holding on to your whole life and you've been trying to fill it and fill it and fill it, well, I just got to do one more thing or I got to have one more job or I got to have one more toy or I got to make one, you know, 10,000 more dollars in my job. I got to do one more, one more, one more, one more, one more, one more. And what you find out at the end of that is it doesn't matter how many one mores you add, you still, at the end of the day, lay awake at night feeling, why am I still empty? Why do I still feel like there's something missing? Well, the answer is you feel like there's something missing because there is. Because your heart was meant to be filled by Jesus Christ. And until you, feel, and until you fill your heart with Jesus, you will always be left feeling empty. Always. We believe that those who commit their lives to Jesus and become His disciples can learn from Him, model their lives after His, and discover their purpose. I don't want you to model your life after me, right? I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow the church, right? I want you to follow Jesus. And, 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 and that goes into our next one, is that we believe that it is the job of Jesus to save people, but it's the job of the church to then walk with and guide those people as they walk with Jesus. Oh, Pastor Cameron, I need you to save me. I'm really hoping that if I go to church, the church will save me. It's an important, like, listen, I get it, and I, I understand up here how we come to that, but I want you to be, I want to be really clear about something. I cannot save you. This place cannot save you, right? It is very clear. Jesus himself said, hey, bros, it's my job to come and seek and save the lost. It's Jesus' job to seek and save it becomes the job of the church to then, like, Jesus has saved you. All right, come and join the community of those who have been sought and saved, and we will walk with you as you discover the purpose that God has given to your life. We believe that Jesus doesn't just save us from something, that he saves us to something. And in order to be saved to something, we have to continue to pursue that relationship. We believe that Jesus sends you and I, all of us, out on mission to be living examples, living witnesses and testimonies of his saving and sanctifying work. That Jesus doesn't just save us to rescue us from this. Just, right? He does. He rescues us from sin and death. 
right? But he doesn't just save us away from something, he saves us into something. And, and, and that something that he saves us into is then to become a living testimony and witness to the reality that once I was blind, but now I can see. And we believe that it's important to embrace the urgency of introducing other people to Jesus Christ. We believe in the importance of embracing creative methods. Wild methods, crazy methods, non-traditional, unconventional methods of getting those who are far from Jesus close to Him. And finally, where we're going to kind of rest our conversation this morning, we believe that all of these things are done in a particular context or in a, in a particular environment. And we call that environment or that context gospel community. We'll talk a little bit about the distinctives between community, which you may have in your neighborhood or you may have at work or you may have on a sports team, or you may have with some friends, oh, I really have this sense of community, this sense of togetherness, this sense of like, we're all in this together. But how does that differ? What is distinctive about the community that we find as rooted in the gospel? And it's a, there's a big difference. Okay? So the content, listen, the content of your life change right, is... The gospel of Jesus Christ. What, what is the thing? What is the thing that's going to bring change? What is the thing that's going to fill the hole? What is the thing that is going to turn the life around? What is the thing that is going to bring freedom? What is the, free, the thing that's going to bring wholeness? What is the thing that is going to bring redemption? It's not me. It's not the church. It's not a self-help self help book. It's not making $10,000 more dollars or losing 20 pounds or any of these things. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that creates life change, right? But the context or environment of your continued life change is within a community that has as its foundation the principles of the gospel, and it's really clear, and I want to be clear, that not all community is created equal. Like I said, you can have community at the place that you work. You can have community in your neighborhood. You can have community on a sports team. You can have community even within your own family. But community that is not based upon the, the principles and the heart and the spirit of the gospel will always turn on you and eat you alive. Now, I know we talked a little bit about other churches and coming from other churches and being a part of other churches. And I, like I said, I support that. I love that some leaders, about 15 of us from here at Conduit, spent about 16 hours at another church up the hill, Hillcrest Baptist, Pastor Mark Hinman. Great church, great man, man of God. Love him and his team dearly, right? And we spent some time up there at a leadership conference. Um, this past week, and had a, had a great time, and um, and I know, but and it, so but I know like 
right? That some of you may be here, maybe here in this room, um, after experiencing hurt in the community of other churches. And I, I, I will say, like, as a, as a pastor all of my adult life and as, like, fully committed to being a pastor for my, adult, my, my entire adult life, that I am, there, there's probably nothing more that keeps me up at night, not figuratively, but literally, right, that keeps me up at night than when I know that people are hurting and that, that sometimes that is a function or a consequence of something that has happened within um, the conduit community. Like, it just guts me, and I'm so sorry for that. And I'm, and I'm sorry if you've experienced hurt here, and I'm sorry if you have experienced hurt elsewhere. And I also want to be really clear about something, is that, is that you spend any amount of time in any community, gospel-centric or not, you are likely going to experience some kind of hurt. I have been hurt in community here. You have been hurt in community here, likely. Because even in church, okay, even in church, let's be honest, people can be kind of peopley sometimes, <laughs> right? People can be pretty peopley. If we don't have a lens, or perspective on which to process the hurt and the pain and the peopleiness that we may experience in churches, then we're likely to just be like, well, it's just like every other place, or just like every other people, uh, it's just like X church, Y church, Z church, and I am out. Okay? So, what I want to do this morning is to describe to you what we are asking Jesus to help us build here as a community. And then also ask you to participate in that building by asking Jesus to make you these things as well. Right? Because it makes no sense for me to be like, hey, we're trying to, we're trying to develop this culture and this gospel community here at Conduit, when the we is just kind of some nebulous, right, existential we. But I want to be really clear that I am asking you, I am asking you to commit to praying that the Holy Spirit of God, right, through this ongoing sanctifying work in your life, would develop these characteristics in your own heart and life so that every interaction that we have with each other has as its foundation the gospel. So we are actively pursuing that. Sometimes the line goes something like this. Well, we just, you know, we really just need to get back to the kind of fellowship and community um, and church life that like Jesus experienced and that was was there in the early church. Now, no, we don't. No, we don't. Like the, there was nothing overly sanctifying about the experience that Jesus had in community or the experience that the early church had in community. 
right? You see, for instance, in Acts chapter 5, right? Um, two people essentially stealing from the early church, right? Stealing from their early community. What did God do? Struck them dead, like on the spot. I mean, like, you want to sign up for that type of community? <laughs> I don't. Like, <laughs> I don't want to sign up for that. Right? We have dead people all over the place, right? <laughs> like, oh, well, we just need to get back to, like, the level of community that Jesus had. Really? You want people betraying you all the time? You want people, you want people leaving because they couldn't hack it? Right? Jesus was, like, literally arguably the person that was probably closest to Jesus in community besides the Heavenly Father himself, flat out said, I don't know the man. Peter. I don't know that guy. When he got in trouble, when he needed a friend, when he needed someone to stick close with him and pray him through it and believe in him and be brave and courageous on his behalf, Peter was like, see ya. I don't want anything to do with that. Now, there's a lesson within that as well, right? That the heart that Jesus had for that relationship or that community was so strong, right? That, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I would want to say that I would have the same reaction as Jesus did in the face of such betrayal and be like, I forgive you, and I am still with you. In fact, not only am I with you, but let me empower you to lead the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the next generation, which is what he did for Peter, right? Jesus was like, I know you betrayed me. I know you walked away. I know you deserted me at my, at my darkest and toughest hour. I still love you. I believe in you, and I'm going to send you out to do greater things than even I did. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd have, like, deleted him off my Instagram, like, blocked him on Facebook, like, asked for my hoodie back, like, bro, not a good friend. Not a good friend. So the reality is, is like we, we, we need to find a new lens by which we view community, okay? In which we pursue community. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his, in his like ministry to, be pl to plant churches and to, and to disciple them and to build them up and to, to form leaders and to place them over churches and grow churches, and he did a, obviously he did a fantastic job at that, right? Um, was talking to one of the churches, wrote a letter, a couple letters, in fact, to one of his churches in the city of Corinth, okay? And Corinth was a city, it was kind of like a cosmopolitan city. It was right at a strategic port, it was a, it was a strategic port city, and they would get, it was a very wealthy city, and um, they had a lot of growing issues as every, as every community in the faith had. And so Paul, Paul saw, at least at, in, once, in, in one instance, to kind of build into them the idea 
of community. The idea of what true community in the gospel sense looks like. And he used the analogy of a body. A physical body. With all its moving parts and pieces and how, and how um, each part is a member of the whole. Okay? And so in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, we're going to look at a few verses here from Corinthians 12 and Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says, um, he says this. We're starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Now, we, we, can all, we all understand this. We, we, all, we all generally understand this, okay? The body, like, the body. You're thinking of your physical body, because that's what, how Paul is using this argument, okay? The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we, we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether we are a Jew or a Greek, whether we are slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. But what Paul says here essentially is like, listen, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter where you grew up, it doesn't matter your heritage, your spiritual upbringing, right? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you are baptized by the Spirit of Christ, you become a part of the same body as everyone else. There is now no distinction between the body of Christ that have been Christians all of their lives and the body of Christ that just got saved last week. You are all one and united together. He goes on to say, verse 14, Now the body is not, uh, is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Well, uh, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are un uh, presentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts have no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but, if, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, 
Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Paul here is painting a picture of the diversity of parts in the body and how each and every one of them is indispensable to the whole. That there is not a part that gets greater authority, greater prominence, greater importance, greater prestige because of its role, because of its background, because of the thing that it does, or what it brings to the body, but that each part God has designed to make up the whole. It is actually the whole that matters more than the individual part. Because that is the way that God has arranged it. Right? And so when we, we, look, at, we, look, at, when we look at Joe Schmo, right, and be like, ah, yeah, I mean, I'm glad he goes to conduit and everything, but uh, whew, he's pretty rough. It's a little rough. Like, listen, you're pretty rough too. All right. And like we said last week, right, just because you hide your roughness really well doesn't make you any less rough. It just makes you really good at faking it. And, and I'll even let you in on this. You're not even faking it really well. You're not. Okay. But the awesome thing is, is that when we commit to creating gospel community, we, begin, we commit to creating an environment free of the pressure to fake it. Be like, <sighs> like, I know, I know how free that feels because I know how exhausting it is to keep up with the, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine type of attitude. It is exhausting. Exhausting. We ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. Okay? Um, so, here, here's the thing. Like, what then, what then, besides, like, so Paul uses the analogy of a body to communicate the point, right? But then, if we were to take the analogy further and say, well then, what is the, what is the basis on which each part of the body interacts with and views and sees and is in relationship every other part of the body, even if we are so drastically different from one another. Like, what is the basis of that relation? How do, how in the world, right, do I be in, where do I even start? Where is the starting point of relationship in a community that is so diverse and so different Right? And so rough. Where do I even start? And Paul's like, I am so glad you asked. Let me answer this question. And it's not just about marriages. It's love. What is the basis and what is the starting point of all relationships in all of life for a Christian, but especially within the body of Christ? It's love. 
See, you think that 1 Corinthians 13, or you may think that 1 Corinthians 13 is just the passage of Scripture that gets read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It always hopes, always protects, always perseveres. You know, that, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm, yep. Love weddings. Just love them. Love. But listen, listen, I want... <laughs> it's not that it doesn't apply to the relationship between husband and wife. It certainly does, right? But the context that Paul talks about love here is not the context of marriage. It's the context of the Christian community. Like, he doesn't, he's not using this to be like, and now I will talk about marriage. If anything, it's like, and now I'm going to be talking about the way y'all treat each other. And the basis for your relationships, diverse as they may be, in the context of community. And then he goes on to say these things. If I, uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians, the end of chapter 12, the beginning of verse 13. So he, re- he, he leads right from the analogy of the body into love, right? There's no strategic pause. He says this, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Speaking of community, Paul says, now I will show you the most excellent way. And he begins going off about love as the basis for gospel community. Not some fluffy, feel-good type of love, but a love that fights for strong relationship with each other. A love that fights for patience and kindness and goodness in between us, right? Paul says these things. He's like, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, this is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. What was Paul saying? You can have all of the fancy gifts that everyone wants to have in church, in your community. Like you can be at the, the, top, of the, like the, the top of the pyramid and you can have the gift of prophecy. You can have the gift of, you can speak in the tongues of men and angels. You can be the most generous person in the life of the church. If you do not have love, you have nothing. If the basis of your relationships with one another is not how then Paul goes about describing this, this, this community, this loving community, then it doesn't matter how awesome of a Christian you are. You've got nothing. You can put it this way. You can be the most generous the most spiritually gifted, the top-tier leader in your church, but if you're not patient, you have nothing. If you are not kind, you have nothing. If all you do is envy, you have nothing. 
you feel an ins- a consistent need to boast, you have nothing. If pride wells up in you every time, you have nothing. If you are rude, self-seeking, easily angered, if you keep a record of everyone's wrong, the way that they have wronged you, I'm going to hold on to that one. I'm going I'm to keep that one and it's going to be a time where I need to bring that one back up. You have nothing. If you delight in the evil that you see in others' lives as if, aha, told you so. Knew that would happen. Nothing. You have nothing. Because love rejoices with the truth. Love fights to protect. Love trusts. Love is full of hope. Love perseveres. Paul says it, of course, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. And it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they, they will cease. Right. Where there's mission and vision and core values and strategy and programs and ministries here and there and everywhere, they will cease. Love will not. The way that we love each other, the way that we are in relationship with and community with each other, it never fails and it never ceases. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But love never will. Listen, when we Certainly when we come together here, in this room, it becomes a little bit easier, right? Because we all feel together and one and like on the same page on a Sunday morning to be like, yeah, patience! Eternally patient with this, oh, oh, you want to take that parking spot? Okay, you, you go ahead, right? Cut me off, it's fine. Oh, right? Oh, oh, please get in front, please, please get in line in front of me when, so then you can get your coffee first. I'll wait, I'll wait, right? Like, here, it's like super easy, right? Because you're like, got your patience clothes on, you got your kindness clothes on, right? You got your humility clothes on, your gentleness clothes on, be like, yeah, man, I'm like, I'm in it, I'm in it to win it on Sunday mornings, right? And it's easy, it's easier then, and that's good, and that's like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what, what, what I'm saying is like, community um, gospel community with a basis of love is something that we, we live primarily, like where the, rubber, where the rubber hits the road is in the situations that you don't see or that we don't see. It's like when someone hurts you or says something that is rude. <laughs> like we, have a, we have a decision to make there. We can be easily angered 
and we can keep a record of that wrong, and then we can delight in evil that happens in their life because we, they once said something rude to us and we remembered it and, not, and are, are refusing to forgive and to let go. And now when we see it, they, like it come back. Well, you reap what you sow, brother. Told you that was going to like... Right, that, that, is a, that is a root of evil and sin and bitterness, and bile, right? Um, that, will, that will destroy your ability to experience the type of community where you feel, where you both feel and are safer than you have ever been. I know that there are people in this room that no one knows who they truly are. Because you are so afraid to, to show people who you truly are or to express what you're feeling or to tell your story because you have never sat in a room where the community that you've been involved in has been based on the gospel. You've only sat in places that were like, ooh, that's a little bit too much for me this today. You are not too much. You are not too much. Your fear is not so fearful. Your anxiety, your, your pain, your emptiness, uh, your not knowing all of the answers, your, um, your like, struggle with mental health, your struggle with addiction, the background of your family, where you work or don't work, how much money you make or don't make, what your house looks like, what you believe or don't believe, it's not too much. It's not too much. In the place of worldly community, where it is all based on what you bring to the table, it might be too much. Right? See, but that's the difference. That's the distinctiveness between worldly community where it's, you're often too much, and that's why you've, you've been conditioned to hide. But with gospel community, it says, no, 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 no you, you don't understand. Like, like, we don't keep record of wrongs here. We, we're, we're all about patience and kindness and the opposite of pride, right? Humility. And the opposite of rudeness, which is gentleness, right? The opposite of self-seeking, which is selflessness. The opposite of being easily angered, which is being like, hey man, like, I, I'm, I'm refusing to get angry with you on this. Like, Jesus is changing me. The opposite of delighting in evil, which is like, I, don't, I want only God's greatest desires for your life. I want, I'm going to think the best of you all the time. 
the first time, you never have to wonder what I'm thinking about you because I'm going to tell you right now, you never have to wonder because I am always thinking love. I am always thinking grace. I am always thinking kindness. I am always thinking patience. I am always thinking like, God, I want the best for their lives. I'm going to believe the best of their lives. I'm going to think the best about them. I'm going to hope for the best. I'm going to pray for the best. I want your best for them. And then there's going to be some times where the Lord is like, hey, you need to change the way you're thinking, the way you're feeling, the way you're interacting with so-and-so because the basis of your relationship with them and the basis for your, our relationship together is the gospel. Represented and signified in the love that we share for one another that comes ultimately from God and is ours and is given to others. That is what that is what conduit is about and that is what we're seeking to continually be about. So I'm I'm asking you this morning if you will commit to build continue to build a culture of gospel community that has as its foundation and the basis of your relationships with each other these characteristics of love. Patience with each other. Kindness to each other. A refusal to be envious or to be boastful or to be proud, or to be rude, or to be self-seeking, or to be easily angered, or to keep a, a refusal. I'm not doing that. Jesus, help me. Help me to be patient in situations where I want to just like... If you can commit to that, not perfection... If you, can, if you can commit to asking Jesus every day, Lord, please sanctify me in this area. <laughs> please help me, Lord, to be more patient. Lord, please help me to celebrate the wins in others' lives. Lord, please help me to let go of the wrong that has been done to me and live in this perpetual state of freedom from hurt. And like active forgiveness. Lord, help me please. I don't want to live there anymore. I want to be a part of a community that has as its basis the gospel of Jesus Christ settled on love. I'm telling you right now, that type of community will change the world. It will change the world. It has to change you first, though. It, it has to change you. On the, um, the first Sunday of every month, and uh, coincidentally, this is not the first Sunday of every month. Um, this is the second Sunday of this month. Uh, <laughs> um, we... Uh, 
we take communion together as a community. And uh, um, I don't know everything about everything. Surprise, surprise. And um, I don't know everything about communion. Okay? Um, here's what I do know. And I'm going to share it with you. Um, what we see in Scripture, in the Gospel of Matthew, and then the, the Apostle Paul kind of echoes a little bit of this in his letter to the Corinthians, coincidentally. Um, we see that there was a time where Jesus, right before he was to go, he was going to be um, betrayed, arrested, placed on the cross, died, placed in the grave, resurrected to life and ascended into heaven. He met with his disciples in an upper room, right? In a room where they were going to celebrate a meal. And when they sat down at the table, Jesus took a loaf of bread, which would not have been, it would not have been rare, right? And uh, I'm imagining that Jesus began to do some things that made his disciples pause and like kind of watch and listen and be like, what is he doing? But he was, um, he was setting for them both an example and communicating um, to them something that they would carry with them and would be both a powerful symbol but also a um, mysterious spiritual experience. Because he took a loaf of bread and then he gave thanks to his heavenly Father for the bread. And then he broke the bread. And then he gave the bread to his disciples. He said, take and eat of this bread, all of you. This is my body, which has been broken for you. That's kind of strange, right? And then Jesus took the cup. Again, not a strange thing to have at that table. And he gave thanks to his heavenly father for the cup. And then he gave the cup to his disciples and he said, take and drink from this cup, all of you. This is my blood which has been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do it in remembrance of me. And for the whole history of the Christian church, the whole history of those who confess faith in Jesus Christ, who desire to receive this the means of grace from God, who desire to experience forgiveness from sins, um, Christians have continued this tradition, this holy mystery, this sacrament of eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. Now, what I know uh, about communion is, like I said, I don't, know, I don't know a lot. But what I do know is that that night, Jesus was trying to connect for his disciples the act of sacrifice that he was about to undergo, an act of love, uh, an act that initiated um, the, like, the, um, the redemption of the relationship between sinful man and holy God. Like, Jesus was going to the cross, and he was taking 
the sin of the world there, and he was, he was destroying the work of sin, and he was killing the work of the enemy, and, the, and, and the, the penalty and the pain of sin was going in the grave with him, and it was going to stay in there, but he was coming back out. And so when Jesus, when Jesus was sitting at that table, I can, I can imagine, or I want to believe, that even internally, he was like, um, I want them to know. <laughs> and I want them to remember. And not just to remember in like a, oh, you read it in a book once and you remember the story. Right? But to have, but to have some kind of physical, tangible, grab it with your hands, put it in your mouth, take it into your body, um, symbol, remembrance, like tangible moment of what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus has done for you. And so he took symbols that would have been fully and completely normal for that day. He's like, hey guys, living parable right here. The bread is like my body. And it will be broken for you. And, and the wine, the cup, right? The cup is like my blood, and it will be shed for you. Not to just create some interesting spiritual story that you can tell to your kids in Sunday school class every Sunday, right? But no, but these things, the breaking of my body and the shedding of my blood is for the forgiveness of your sins. And so every time you come to the moment where you're going to share once again, where you're going to repeat, where you're going to remember, use these signs and symbols to bring you back to a place of reception and faith that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood is perfectly and fully sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins.